0: Then
1: for your thoughts. I'm Jim Chirpin. I'll be here for the next couple of hours. My guests here in the studio this morning are Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey, and Jim Dye, the Opinions Editor of the News Gazette. All three of these uh, gentlemen have uh, been on the uh, program by themselves uh, lots of times. Now they're here together, and uh, this is a I'd like to say, a unique opportunity to uh, talk to a couple of judges and the guy that writes the editorials uh, and the other uh, columns uh, for the News Gazette. So we want you to uh, join us at uh, 356-9397 or you can uh, text us at uh, 351-5357. Good morning, gang. Uh, how many times has this been, the uh, three of us together? Is this three or four times? I oh, think. I think at, at least. More than that, uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe, maybe. I want to start out by asking uh, uh, Judge McCuskey if he knows that the Chicago White Sox have, uh, have uh, set a record. They're number one in all of professional sports in one category. You know what that is?
2: Uh, isn't the Phillies number one and we're number two for, for losing Russell. games? <laughs> no, no, no. It
1: isn't losing games. Okay.
2: But Declining it's... attendance. Oh, yes. Oh, well, well, is that right? Our fans only want to see winners. And that's that's kind of unique, isn't it? No, when we win, the fans show up. When they lose, we lose. We don't. But I actually think there's going to be some interest in seeing the rebuilding and seeing when we get all these kids out on the field because I'm glad that we're getting rid of, hopefully at the end of the year, James Shields, who always thrills you if you're an opposing fan with at least three or four home runs in the first five (laughs) innings, and he makes more than $10 million. He's got to go. Mm-hmm. So what about the rest
3: of you guys? How's your baseball uh, going, uh, Judge Steigman? Well, I'm a White Sox fan, too. I suffer from the same disease as Mike. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a long-suffering White Sox fan, my late brother and I, who watched Sox games together from so many years, we had a phrase that used to come into play at the end of the year. It was, back up the truck, meaning <laughs> dump so many of these guys because they ain't no good, no how. And uh, the White Sox, bless their heart, did it in the middle of the season this time, and uh, there's hope for the future. They uh, have gone with uh, uh, all these bright uh, spots and and traded uh, the Quintana trade. I thought was a wonderful trade. He's a wonderful guy. And uh, it's hard to say as a White Sox fan, i certainly wish him well with the Cubs because he's, <laughs> he embodies all of what baseball should be about. A terrific guy. And uh, the Sox got a bunch of really good players in exchange, and that was the way trade should be because they're now going for the future. Now, let me this add something. So some
1: of those old guys you're talking about, they're
2: like a basket of deplorables. <laughs> yes. And they all came from the National League. Yes. We started with Dunn and LaRoche and Frazier and these guys who had these great years in the National League couldn't hit 200 in the American League. It was pathetic. It was bad. <laughs> about the Cardinals,
1: uh, Mr. Dye? Well,
4: I want to say, first of all, that I think there's a problem with Bob's theory. You can't back up the truck every year. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we discovered that over the course of several decades. You're right. But I'm really not in a position to... Slow learners, yeah,
4: I'm not in a position to keep too much scorn on the Sox because the Cardinals are... Uh, their their goal this season, I think maybe is to reach 500, <laughs> maybe one day a year. Or, but uh, they're they're struggling with mediocrity, and the the good news is they're in a division that's pretty mediocre, so uh, they're not too far out. Although I think the Cubs are really kind of uh, are putting everybody else in the rearview mirror. The Cardinals are also in kind of a position where they're bringing up a lot of young players from uh, from uh, Louisville, where they actually had a really tremendous Triple A team, and some of these guys are contributing. So. You know, I don't know whether they're going to trade some of those guys or they're actually going to try to move them in the starting lineup and make them uh, think they'll be major leaguers. But uh, I think this season is, for the Cardinals is one of uh, just examining what's going to happen for the future. They have too many problems to, I think, be competitive in the postseason. I don't think it's going to happen for them. Uh, So we'll just have to say uh, wait till next year, which is uh, borrow the Cubs
3: uh, mantra there. (laughs) Not only is it borrowing it, but uh, Brian Silverman, who we all knew and loved and was quite the eccentric guy, uh, was uh, maybe the biggest Cub fan I've ever known. And uh, he died a few years back, as we we recall. But uh, uh, his wife, uh, on his tombstone, did something which would really have pleased Brian. And at the bottom of his tombstone, it says, wait till next year (laughs) and by god that was the right message and um, you know it's just unfortunate that brian after all his uh, suffering with the cubs wasn't around to see them finally achieve success and they gave bartman a ring so everything yes there you go
4: you know i thought that actually was a very nice gesture on the part of the cubs The, the one problem with it is that it wasn't the cubs that Tortured Barkman all those years. It was the Cub fans, yes. And I guess this winning the, the the World Series last year makes a lot of that bitterness go away. But I think the Cubs, uh, the Cubs gesture was really um, spoke well for the organization.
1: I don't think it's going to matter much uh, who wins there. The way the Dodgers are playing. Uh, That's my right. In Houston.
4: Yeah, Houston. I think is what thirty one games over five
3: hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Houston, by the way has got uh, a fellow who embodies all of what's best about baseball. Their second baseman, Altuve, yes. who is maybe five foot six, and doesn't look anything like any professional athlete, but plays the game wonderfully and uh, with excitement and with drive. One of the things as a long-suffering baseball fan I always want to see is when someone hits the ball to the outfield and gets a base hit, It's always a double until it isn't. By that I mean you're always hustling down the first base and turning the corner. So if the outfielder doesn't pick it up cleanly, you got a chance for a a double. There's some guys who always play the game right, and it's a wonderful game. And Altuve is one of them. And he's did he hit 400 for the month? He was coming close. And you look at this guy and you think he's a bat boy. (laughs) You know, he's so small, but he's he's doing it all right.
1: All right, well, the uh, Thursday uh, sports line is over, <laughs> and I want to talk to you about uh, Judge uh, Richard Posner. Anybody the want to talk about him? You mean the smartest man in the world? The, yeah, the, uh, the smartest the, man
4: in the galaxy. The, the, <laughs>
1: okay. the, tri- the Tribune calls him Mr. Smarty Pants. So, uh, Chicago's uh, favorite Smarty Pants judge says the Supreme Court should have 19 members not nine If you had 19 members, you would inevitably have more diversity. And he says the modern presidents don't think that way, but if the Supreme Court was much larger, they might say, well, okay, we have 19 justices, 12 of them are highly politicized, but we have these extra seven who will uh, appoint them on the basis of quality, and that would make a big difference. And then last month he talked about uh, mandatory age. He says the mandatory retirement age for all judges should be around 80. he says. Uh, "The should not be limited to Supreme Court uh, judges should not be limited to lawyers because we have brilliant businessmen, politicians, or teachers who could rely on brilliant law clerks for their legal technicalities. Most of the technicalities are antiquated anyway, antiquated crap anyway," he says. Uh, "You guys know this judge, right?"
2: And I know him personally from the 16 years on the federal bench. The interesting thing is that Richard Posner did not start espousing some of these interesting items until he figured out he was never going to get the U.S. Supreme Court. And as soon as he figured (laughs) that out, one of his first things he did was be the only guy in the United States who found a way to criticize Chief Justice Rehnquist as to how he conducted himself at the Clinton impeachment hearings, which nobody was thinking about but Posner. He also uh, has come up with an interesting idea that I don't know if Judge Steigman's followed. He's spoken in public about this. He's done it in opinions, and until the U.S. Supreme Court tells him it is not the way you do your work, he'll continue. He says... Lawyers do a bad job. They hide the issues, or and they even use a sports gym, They hide the ball. Um, judges are even worse because they don't control the lawyers, and they don't control what happens. So by the time the case gets to us, it's difficult to figure out. So what we do is have to go outside of the record to Wikipedia, Google, and find other facts and uh, issues so that we can get the proper question before the court. He does his own research. And they are doing, and citing Google, citing Wikipedia, and Easterbrook follows him. It must be the University of Chicago method now. But they're the only court in the country and the only two people who espouse going outside of the record to scientific places like Wikipedia and Google.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and it's, it's a dangerous business. Um, the parties are entitled to have their cases tried based upon the evidence presented in the courtroom. Uh, Mike and I, for instance, are former trial judges, and uh, he's the trial judge again. And one of the, if there was an accident at the corner of uh, Kirby and Neal Street or a shooting, let's say it's a criminal case and there was a shooting incident that occurred there, one of the instructions that the court would give to the jury is you're to decide this case based on the evidence you see in here in this courtroom. Don't go out and make your own independent evaluations such as, you know, I stood at the corner behind the McDonald's there and I couldn't see across the street and start telling the jury for your fellow jurors about that. You know, maybe you weren't in the same spot someone else was, etc. But, uh, if this were your case, Jim, you'd be shocked at the notion that jurors are going to be conducting independent research that you might not know about, that you have no way to look into, and letting that affect their judgment. Our criminal and civil justice systems aren't perfect, but they're by far the best in the world, and uh, they're human institutions, of course. But the idea that uh, Posner and uh, Easterbrook say, well, you know, we're going to go beyond the record made by the mere mortal lawyers, because we're so smart, we want to be able to look into this on our own and reach the right decision. And the last thing to mention about Posner is it's not just facts, it's also law in the Constitution, which is, he said, you know, why are we talking about the Constitution? This is an archaic instrument. Why should that hem in someone as smart as me? This is uh, Mm -hmm. subtext. And of course, then the the response would be, well, where do you get your authority from? Isn't it that same archaic doctrine that identifies you as an Article Three judge and all the rest of this? Th- this is a dangerous area, and it reminds me, uh, because pa- Posner is the embodiment of someone who is our better and knows better and knows what he should do and is so much smarter than we. Uh, There was a 1945 essay that George Orwell uh, wrote in which he described the rumor among leftists that the real reason American troops had been brought to Europe was to suppress English communism, uh, not to fight the Nazis. And he famously noted in his uh, uh, article that, quote, one has to belong to the intelligentsia to believe things like that. No ordinary man could be such a fool. And you know, as I hear about the stuff going on in college campuses and the claim that uh, we need feminist geography, uh, you know, and how that works, and then I hear Easterbrook and Posner say, you know, we don't need no stinking rules. Come on, we we can, you we'll just do our own research and we'll decide the case ourselves. Uh, this is a concept, again, that uh, no ordinary man could be such a fool as to think this is leg- legitimate. Okay, let's
1: uh, take a call here. Let's go to uh, Bill. Good morning, Bill.
5: Good morning, gentlemen. I tried
6: to come up with a sophisticated interesting question, but in lieu of that, I come up with a pretty simple questions. But something I always wondered about. Um, I know you're allowed to defend yourself in court. I assume that you have to have a lawyer. If somebody's representing you, it has to be an attorney who's pass the bar exam, et cetera, what exactly is the, the bar association? Is it a federal? Is it state? Is it, I mean, who who gives the exams? Uh, what kind of association is it? And are the rules for different in, in, in each state? How does that all work?
2: Well, let me respond. First, The when you hear about the Champaign County Bar Association, the Illinois State Bar Association, the American Bar Association, they have nothing to do with giving the uh, exam to become a lawyer. That actually comes from the Illinois Supreme Court. They uh, select bar examiners. They actually determine what is a passing grade, too, which can change over time depending on uh, how many lawyers are to be admitted in any given year. There's also what's called the multi-state bar exam, which is given like now in 30-some states, also in Illinois. And that, I don't know exactly how those people are selected, but the, the bar associations you hear of have nothing to do with the selection of lawyers.
3: They're a social and professional organization uh, that designed well the local bar called the uh, Drinking and Childish Society. It's a nice group to get together and uh, to visit about things. And uh, occasionally they have continuing legal education programs. The State Bar Association uh, sends out uh, emails on a daily basis about developments in the law and new rules. So it's helpful and worthwhile in that regard. But as far as uh, the regulation of the lawyers, as Mike said, it's entirely the Illinois Supreme Court, and these are just other social and professional organizations that are not otherwise involved.
1: 920 right. at uh, 80 degrees here at the Radio Center. We need to take our first break right here. We invite you to call at 356-9397. Bill, do you have anything else? I didn't mean to cut you off.
6: No, no, that cleared it up. I really, I, I figured the associations were kind of separate, but I always wondered what bar stood for, too. So.
1: That was two meanings of bar, <laughs> at least, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, thank you, okay. Bill. Appreciate the call. Mr. Bond, our first break coming right back. Phone lines open at uh, 356-9397. Castle Heating and uh, Cooling and text line is three five one five three five seven. 5357 Jim Dye and I were talking about uh, the uh, local case here, and uh, we decided that it would be uh, uh, good to, uh, to talk to uh, Judge McCuskey about it. Why don't you uh, tell me what you were uh, thinking about uh, the Chinese uh, scholar and uh, kidnapping, murder, et cetera.
4: Yeah, this is a a good question for mike to take on because it i think a lot of people in the community are confused and the reason i think that is because people in our own newsroom were confused about it uh ying ying zhang the chinese girl who was kidnapped and is presumably dead her her uh, assailant has been arrested he's waiting trial and he's charged in uh, federal court with kidnapping Mm -hmm. not charged with murder and I want you to explain the jurisdictional issues that come up between state charges and federal <laughs> charges, because people say, well, they think he killed her. Why isn't he charged with murder? And you can explain what kidnapping, as it relates to a death, uh, and how that affects the federal jurisdiction.
2: Well, the interesting thing is the 16 years I spent on the federal bench here, um, sometimes I was confused, as you are, as to why and when they pick and choose a case let me clarify that i'm not confused some other people are. (laughs) okay go ahead (laughs) no i i I really was because i can tell you there were cases that they took from the state's attorney's office and they don't talk to the state's attorney they usually talk to some police officer who's a friend of a prosecutor and then they decide to take a case uh just because the fbi is involved doesn't mean that they take a case either Usually, it's because of a federal statute, uh, or somebody is doing something across state lines, but the feds pick and choose cases very interestingly, because the first thing is, can we win? Second, we're going to charge somebody so we can win. Now, that may be the whole answer to this. One, it gets national publicity. Two, the FBI gets involved. Three, we decide we're going to handle the case for uh, let's charge somebody with something we can win. It was 20 consecutive years here in the Urbana Federal Courthouse before anybody was found not guilty. So you could make the statement, they only pick cases they can win. Uh, I have a similar case that I sat on in Putnam County where the guy is charged with concealing a homicidal death but not murder, accused of burying the body. The body was found, but not murder. And the Illinois State Police have been working on it for two years. And the only thing is, I guess they don't want to charge murder if they don't think they can prove it. And this may be the same situation.
4: Well, murder is a state charge, though, correct?
2: You can have, uh, you can no, have a murder. You can, you can have murder can, in federal. Remember, the one, one of the last things I did as a federal judge was a triple murder from Danville, because it involved drugs, a, right? But, but you know, there's federal jurisdiction doesn't always apply in murder cases, correct? The federal jurisdiction, I don't know, because I'm not a prosecutor. It may be because she's not an American citizen. I don't know.
3: Isn't it uh, linked to any kidnapping? I mean, if you have a kidnapping and a car is used, so it can go interstate.
2: The- well, that could be. You could be right there. It this wasn't an interstate, but it. Could be. I did have Use the, ki- means, uh, a yes, car the means. Yeah, the means. I did, if you remember, have the kidnapping of uh, Mr. Aguas, who uh, La Bamba. But when the kidnapper was caught, it was in Indiana, so it had it had crossed state lines there. Uh, see, you're asking me to untie the Gordian knot of the U.S. Attorney's Office where I never worked, but I was always sitting back wondering why this case is in court instead of state court or why they took it from state court. And you know what? I got the same answer you do. What do they say when you call the U.S. Attorney's Office, Jim? No. <laughs> not much. <laughs> we, we don't comment on cases. <laughs> not to you or not to a federal judge. <laughs> well, I was
4: talking with one of the prosecutors about it, and he was saying... Uh, that this case has the potential to be a death penalty case because it was a kidnapping that involves a murder, and that that issue will be presented to the uh, attorney general to decide. Now, if it's if it's kidnapping without a death, then it can be up to life. But if it's kidnapping with the death, it's minimum life and possible death. But I presume that uh, they're going to get the murder into this thing somehow, assuming there is a, they find a body, whatever. But uh, it, it's just a question of uh, the feds wanted the case and they found the jurisdiction under the kidnapping
2: charge, and that's why they did what they did. Because and it might be because of public relations, since it has national sensitivity. Well, that could be, yeah. International. Right. Right.
3: By the way, one other thing I would mention, it goes the other way sometimes. Uh, my first really big case as a trial judge was a uh, death penalty case out of uh, Decatur that involved the bank robbery in Decatur where uh, a bank guard was shot and killed.
4: Cornelius Lewis.
3: Cornelius Lewis. And uh, his sister, uh, and uh, Willie Sinks. Yeah. Thanks, And what happened in that case is that I had a whole bunch of FBI guys who testified, and this was a federal crime, but it was brought in state court because uh, the feds, for whatever reason, thought they had a better chance to get a death penalty in state court uh, than they did in uh, federal court, and in fact, they did. Cornelius Lewis uh, was convicted, uh, was given the death penalty, and then... For reasons that uh, are a long story, uh, he never got the death penalty. He received instead life in prison. But uh, it it can work both ways, and almost all the investigating people in that case were FBI people.
4: Yeah, let me just back up a second, too. Do we have a minute?
3: Yeah. Okay. Is that uh, there is still
4: state jurisdiction um, in this case? So if Julia Reeds would want to file her own charges of. Uh, against uh, the suspect in the kidnapping case she could because of the dual jurisdictions the so-called separate separate sovereignty rule. Right. So there are all kinds of issues that can come up in these things but and that probably confuses a lot of people.
1: But not you. But not right, me uh,
4: not on this subject. I'm confused about plenty of things <laughs> but not that.
1: <laughs> it's 9:32. Uh, uh, Brian Barnard is not confused about anything. He has the uh, news headlines here. We'll be back with our panel right after that. 93680 degrees here at the Radio Center and JB says to your White Sox fans on the panel in 2005 when the White Sox won it all they averaged 28,900 fans <coughs> in 81 home games this year they're averaging 22,000 fans so you can see White Sox fans do not turn out even when the team
2: is good so we should actually move them to Florida, right? <laughs>
3: well, I hope not. But uh, uh, you no, know, he's got the White
2: Sox. They're the uh, stepchild. Yeah, you know, the the, stepchild. The, of and Chicago the New York Sports Mets have the same position in New York.
3: Yeah, it's bad.
4: The Mets, however, if they would start winning like the Yankees do, they would become adopted pretty quickly. How about
2: Oakland and San Francisco? No, Oakland has never done well. And the
3: other characterization. Never done
2: well. They won three World Series in a row. Well, I'm talking about their attendance. (laughs) The the other
3: characterization of the White Sox fan is he's a Chicago cop with 12 letters as his last name and one vowel. You know.
4: So. And by the way, those three consecutive World Series—they won were back what in the seventies? They, yeah. they were great. The Cubs
2: didn't have any back then. Yeah. Well, I mean,
3: <laughs> okay, he's got some. Okay, yeah. Well, uh,
1: what didn't you got? didn't mean to get uh, <laughs> back into a sports uh, conversation. <laughs> um, you see what we really care the, about. This here. is a, a big, big story in the uh, in the Tribune today. Retailers appeal the judge's ruling in Cook County soda tax case, and. Uh, this is a giant story. I don't know where to even uh, start, but I want to do a, a talk to Bob Steigman about this as a beginning, because you have told me many times that uh, we're going to reach the point one of these days where they're going to say, "Mr. Turpin, you cannot have." that cheeseburger today yes. because you have already used your allotment of uh, cheeseburgers. Yes. and this it's one. for your own interest
3: and for the children. Don't forget that. They we're just looking out so that's for
1: That's what uh, – this is uh, for health reasons, of you course. must understand. It's not the fact that uh, next year a uh, tax on the uh, soda in the Chicago area would bring in 60, uh, $675 million and. 200.6 million in 2018. Yeah.
3: Well, the politicians think we're stupid, and maybe they're right because they keep on getting away with this. Uh, some of us remember when the lottery came in, it was going to be used exclusively to fund education. And of course, money's fungible. So, you know, you have money that comes in, and now you can use it for education, take Money otherwise it was going to be used for education and spend it to hire uh, aldermen's nephews and the rest of it. So the idea is that uh, <clears throat> they're trying to fool us. <clears throat> Too often they do, and uh, but this is this is like uh, the soda taxes and other blue cities and blue counties where uh, the government is run by our betters who are uh, imposing nanny state restrictions upon us because we're too stupid to figure out what to eat and drink.
1: So what do you think is going to happen up here? It looks like uh, the uh, group of retailers is appealing the judge's decision to dismiss this lawsuit that temporarily blocked the uh, tax.
3: I frankly, uh, you know, this is the back wall of the uh, courtroom for the Illinois Supreme Court says, Aldi Arterum Partum, which says, listen to both sides. I didn't even listen to one side in this case. And uh, this business about taxing is very complicated. And uh, typically, the government can impose taxes, and this is a Cook County tax. Uh, I don't know, and I didn't understand or really get into why the trial judge even put a stay on to begin with. The stay is pretty severe. It means you think you're likely going to win. Uh, So, Mike, you have any insights in all this? No, I
2: I agree with you. I've not in 29 years ever had an issue where I could void a tax. In fact, the three times that I've run successfully, I always promise the taxpayers, I will not raise your taxes. I promise that. (laughs) (laughs) So I've never had a case where I could not only deny a tax or – Stay attacks, I it, so I don't understand either side because I haven't followed it. <laughs> All right. We need to uh, see what Zoe has to say this morning. Good morning, Zoe.
7: Oh, good morning. I just wanted to throw something in here because and I just heard the tail end of something when I walked through the room, and I hope you weren't saying that somebody's going to try to limit our cheese on our hamburgers or any <laughs> other place because I am a cheese fanatic and nobody's going to take my cheese away from me. You're but take anyway. it out
4: of your cold,
3: dead yeah, hands. No, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not you this week, Zoe, but uh, you <laughs> have to, you have to remember that the, the nannies never rest. No, they it, never do. And they're always true. looking out for your best interest <laughs> because you're incapable of doing it. And uh, th- what they're going to be uh, saying is, uh, well, you may have a cheeseburger, but you had your quota for this <laughs> week, Zoe. So uh, <laughs> make, wait yes. till next week. So,
4: well, so Zoe, what do you think like, of this tax idea? What you, right. The this...
7: thing I called in to say is that uh, Catherine oh. Albrecht, and she's a privacy expert, and she's, she's uh, she wrote her doctorate at Harvard on subject of these rewards cards and she said i think it was at harvard and she said that we shouldn't use them because they will eventually use them to track how much cheese we eat she didn't say cheese but how much of whatever they don't want us to have we consume and then they will want to limit us or or watch to see you know how much we are we are using of whatever product they want to limit or whatever behavior they want to stop And so we shouldn't really avail ourselves of using those rewards cards.
3: But it's it's in your own best interests. Oh,
7: well, yes.
3: Zoe, (laughs) you'll be happy
2: to know when I, as a Democrat, when I want a cheeseburger, I ignore what the calories say. I want my cheeseburger.
4: Exactly. This
2: this week, Mike. (laughs)
8: Exactly.
1: Thank Thank you, you Zoe. Appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Roger. Hello, Roger.
3: Good morning to all of you. Good morning. I have a question
6: on the kidnapping case. Way early in the case, there was mention of a uh, roommate, and that's never been mentioned that I know of since. then. I wonder, if any of
5: the judges know anything about that? And I'll hang up and let J- Jimmy break. been uh,
1: covering. This. Well, I
4: think that he, uh, the, the suspect, uh, was living with an individual yep. at this apartment yep. complex that. <laughs> that was by yep. uh, coincidence about six or eight blocks from my house, and. Uh, so I think that individual was questioned and maybe and may or may not have provided some uh, <clears throat> some assistance. I think it was clear that that the individual did give uh, consent to the FBI to search the apartment, and that hasn't been disclosed what was come up and that what was retrieved in that search. But uh, there was a clear import in the stories that uh, uh, there was someone and that individual was cooperative with the authorities.
3: By the way, let me add something to this real quickly. Uh, Jim made reference to it earlier, and I think we should uh, talk about it further, about how the U.S. Attorney's Office keeps its mouth shut and the FBI isn't talking to anyone about this. This is a very serious case, and in contrast to the zoo we see in Washington, D.C., this is how uh, police agencies and prosecutors ought to behave they ought not hold press conferences. They ought not be leaking. They ought not be talking about it. You do your uh, talking when you file stuff in court. Uh, the idea about uh, giving stories and leaking and prejudicing people—that's real bad stuff. And uh, it's commendable that. Yeah, uh, it's frustrating because I'm a consumer and I'm interested in all this news. I'm consumer of it. Uh, but that's the way things ought to be. You know, it's it's our imperfect system, but it's still the best, and part of it is prosecutors and cops ought not be holding press conferences.
2: Well, let me tell you the worst situation, and this goes back and actually ties into baseball. So I'm the federal judge, and if you remember, there was an uh, individual in Champaign who was a chemist making for Balco in San Francisco various substances, that uh, So they came here from San Francisco to ask me for a search warrant, federal agents from San Francisco. I granted a search warrant. Then they came back in this and wanted uh, some additional search warrants. That was all done in a morning. That is supposed to be absolutely secret. But because Balco was uh, supposedly involved with Barry Bonds and others, which later we found out, I accidentally, without thinking, said, you know, there are agencies that tend to leak information, and if I can ever find out who does it, because it's supposed to be secret, I would love to have a criminal prosecution and put that person in jail. One of the agents looked like I had just hit him as hard as I could in the stomach. He never came back. Within an hour after the search warrants were executed, I was heading to a meeting in Chicago, and WGN said, we just have a breaking story about Balco and uh, baseball substances, and it's in the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle, meaning that somebody had leaked to the San Francisco Chronicle what they were going to do in front of a federal judge in Urbana, Illinois, and then called, obviously, run the story because The execution of the search warrants happened. He never came back. I was later told by the feds that the defense lawyer must have leaked it. At that point, there wasn't even a defense lawyer.
3: Well, that's bad stuff. That's something to avoid.
2: (laughs) Should have called uh, Scaramucci.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to uh, Joe. Hi, Joe. Good
6: morning. Good morning. gentlemen. gentleman last night uh, on Tucker Carlson, he had a man from California that's pushing some uh, thing to be on the ballot out there about seceding from the union and they need like 500,000 votes which are signatures which they will probably be able to obtain in uh, Los Angeles and California, or, uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco alone. Um, I thought about this all night and, and today and I can see nothing but problems developing out of this. What do you think about this? And can I answer this question?
4: I'd like to answer this question because it's been a source of real irritation to me to read these stories about California's going to secede from the union, and the seeming credibility that news outlets give uh, to this story. Now, didn't we have a civil war about 1860 that that in which we you cannot secede from the union you can't do it and so somebody wants to put this on the ballot i mean i think it is a fraud on the public i think it's irresponsible to report this as a serious movement you know if jerry brown wants to lead a motion uh lead a movement for secession then jerry brown is going to find himself in the same position as
3: jefferson davis he's going to be in a federal jail for treason by the way in Picking up on Jim's point, it was interesting. I saw some of this interview last night. This is supposedly one of the leaders in this movement, and Tucker Carlson said, "So this is a question for the California voters." Yes. Well, what about the rest of the country? Do they have any say in any of this? Oh no, it's just us. And Tucker paused and said, "Well, the point Jim made. Didn't we go through something like this? Uh, wasn't this South Carolina in the eighteen sixties who said we're leaving the Union and?" Wasn't a war fought over it? And this guy looked, and with all the historical understanding that you might expect of an honors student in gender studies, and uh, he just said, what?
2: Uh, We have, uh, at least in some of the bars that I sit around in, to keep (laughs) myself balanced and understand what the... Real Not people. the real people, not the professors this in is, bloomington this is the uh, bar Association, No, yeah, yeah no, a real bar. bar, a real bar where my dad <laughs> took me as a kid in Lincoln, Illinois, yeah, oh, the yeah. poor man's country club, the bar in Lincoln, you'll hear people say, "How can we get Chicago to secede from Illinois? They're the problems we need to get them separate, so if we had all these ballot initiatives that they do in California, I'm sure that'd get on the ballot, somebody would then think that they can make Chicago secede, but you do hear that from time to time. Joe, uh,
1: Joe anything else?
4: (laughs) Uh, No. Joe, don't uh, worry about it. It ain't going (laughs) to (laughs) happen.
6: Well, the, the problem I see developing, if they would be halfway successful and even get it on the ballot there, would be... Which states out there and across the country would follow after that, and
4: well, I, I taking remember taking us
6: right down the path that we went back in eighteen
4: sixty. I remember a few years ago when Barack Obama was president, and there were some discussions, like in southern states, I think several southern states, that they were going to sec- they were going to secede, and the the media reaction to that story was to basically report it with ridicule. How stupid these uh, right wing goofballs were to think they could possibly. Uh, secede from the union that it just can't be done and look what a bunch of yahoos they are at the same time now we have uh, Trump as president and all of a sudden the skepticism that was so prevalent back when Obama was president has suddenly disappeared and it's reported as if well this is really a serious thing and it, you know Donald Trump for all his flaws uh, you know I'm not going to defend him but you know it's no different uh, now than it was then but what I see is a lot of uh, I see a completely different tone and one that is misleading in terms of Giving people the impression that this could actually happen—it's
1: not going to happen. Anything else, uh, my man? i are going to have to move on. As Abraham—No, uh, thank you,
6: thank you, gentlemen. No. I appreciate. It. As thank Abraham
4: you. Lincoln once said about democracy, it cannot succeed in a situation where entities in a union can endlessly subdivide so we have a
2: country we have a union and obviously i'm getting a little too carried well, away on the i subject. just <laughs> i just bought i'm one of the old timers i just bought four newspapers this morning and sometimes on saturday and sunday read seven i've missed this so is this something you get on social media, or was it on the front page of the News Gazette? And I miss it because I still get the News Gazette in the mail. No, I don't think it's been heavily reported, but it's been, it's been reported intermittently about these
4: various places where secessions.
1: Secession, yeah. I, I've well, missed on, it. It's on the uh, talk shows at night.
2: Oh, right, well, right that, you know what? We just did two mammoth jury trials, one a three-day jury selection, one a two in Peoria. And this would be something good to report. Uh, not very happily for many of the medias, but out of over 100 jurors, uh, I think we had about 10 who actually read newspapers, none of which were the New York Times and the Washington Post. We had about, this. the question asked by both lawyers in these cases, five days of jury selection is, how do you receive your news? So about 10% newspapers, no Washington, no New Times, no Wall Street journals, local, about 15 local TV stations, and one of the TV stations nobody said, one of the three, and then social media. Now, I know that some of these people, the overwhelming majority are not college educated, but two of the jurors were Caterpillar engineers, and they also only got their news through social media.
3: What uh, social media did they identify as? They did, they, the that lawyers means, they're, that did, means
2: they're not getting any news, because you're not getting news off Well, but on I want to, on I'm just pointing out to you, in I Peoria, understand. Illinois, this is, I thought it was millennials. I thought my son's friends who didn't read t- uh, newspapers or watch TV, these are middle-class Americans in Peoria, Illinois, Seventy-five percent of them, and the lawyers didn't follow it up. What they were really looking for is: Do you watch Fox? Do you watch CNN, MSNBC? And you know what? They're not watching that either. Well, <laughs> you know that
4: provides a nice transition back to the the soft drink story because one of the themes of today's uh, big story in the in the Tribune was the fact that there were so many of these consumers they interviewed had no idea this tax was going to be applied, and this <laughs> has been in the news media in Chicago for weeks now and it's like what what a tax what are you talking about how do they not know yeah how do you not know well they're dumbfounded about this now one more point on that and then i'm going to cease my soliloquy (laughs) (laughs) this is not an issue that's going to be resolved in the courts this is going to be an issue that's going to be resolved in the political arena i'm talking about the tax here that hits ordinary people right where they live and the question is how much are they willing to take from their public officials. This is another example of the public officials thumbing their nose at people by raising the cost dramatically of items that regular people like to purchase. This is not like picking on the minority of smokers. This yeah. is ordinary Joes hitting them in the wall, and will they take it and like it, or will they fight back? And I, really? think, it's a, I think it's a great political issue. I think it's an issue that people could understand. I mean, could you th- think of a campaign slogan or run against Terry... Or prink-winkle for uh, this yeah.
3: tax?
2: I mean, is anybody going to fight back?
3: Well, it's the blue standard of government, 40 years of stand and uh, what what do you expect?
2: I don't think Madigan had anything to do with this well, tax. Well, but
3: <laughs> he's... he's it's the blue You can't state blame him for
2: everything, Bob. No, no. I I think I think
3: we can because there is no Republican party in this state. There's no Republican party in Cook County, so the Cook County Democrats are free to do whatever they wish, including put on this tax.
2: When you ran as a Democrat in 1976, he was already in Springfield. He just wasn't speaker, so you can't blame everything on the Democrats when once you were part of their party.
3: Well, I got smart and abandoned him. A Reagan Democrat.
1: Uh text here says the soda tax revenue projections uh, will probably not be nearly as high considering what capital goes uh, where it's uh, treated best. Sure. In- Indiana doesn't have a soda tax. I'll bet Wisconsin doesn't either.
3: Lake County, Illinois doesn't.
1: Therefore, Cook County residents will probably go to Walmarts and other areas to save on Mm. their
4: taxes. Well, that was exactly the point some of the consumers made in in the article today, which is, I'll just do my shopping elsewhere. And the stores are not stupid. They are referring, I mean, these are chain stores, and they're referring their customers to their other branches that aren't in Cook County. What's interesting about this is that, naturally, Cook County government already has the money spent. They haven't even got it yet. They've, it's already committed, and they're saying, "Well, now if you don't uh, go along
3: with this, yeah, we're, we're going to lay off lay off uh, prosecutors and jail guards, and, and the world's going to come
4: to an end yeah. as we know it."
1: Uh, Sarah says, uh, "Back to the uh, Chinese scholar. I can't help but wonder: Are the lawyers for the accused kidnapper of the Chinese scholar laying the groundwork for a possible appeal?" If he is uh, convicted, they are stressing the fact that he's incarcerated an hour away from them, making it hard for him to participate in the preparation of his case. Could that be grounds for an appeal?
3: Well, a former appellate judge Mm. over here on my right. What about that, Mike?
2: The uh, 16 years that I uh, spent as a federal judge, the uh, federal government goes to counties and is trying to save your tax dollars, finds counties that will be willing at the cheapest rate to transport them back and forth to the Urbana Courthouse. The Champaign County has never participated in cutting the rates to do this, so they haven't competed with Decatur, or they haven't competed with Ford County, and they haven't competed with Kankakee. Those are three counties, and Sullivan, that house federal prisoners. I've never had... One appeal where that issue comes up, and I cannot believe that it would be something that would reverse the trial. but remember everybody has a right to appeal, and you can go into small claims court over a hundred bucks and if you don't like the judge's decision, you can appeal that also you know that that 's just
4: defense attorney noise i mean this case is going to be resolved in the facts in the courtroom. And they, you know, how far away the guy is from the, uh, and there will be an appeal. On, and there will and be a, an appeal, no matter just, what. You know, you got to say something. So you say, uh, well, my, my client is being oppressed because he's an hour away from the courthouse. But and as a I, matter of tactics. That's not fly.
3: <clears throat> a defense attorney in a criminal case has the primary goal of trying to construct the best defense possible at the trial level. But as a secondary goal, you're always thinking about making a record. Of uh, matters which, if your client is convicted, might be an argument to be made to the appellate court. Whether or not it would be successful is, you know, perhaps debatable. The great majority of the cases that we get, we wind up affirming uh, convictions. I don't know. I guess probably three quarters or more. Uh, So, but if you're the defense attorney, uh, as, as I say, as a matter of tactics, you always want to make your record, make your objection ask for a certain relief. And who knows, if uh, there were a conviction in this case uh, on an appeal, they might get paused in there in Easterbrook. There who, you go. Who do their own research and decide. They went to
2: that, Google Maps. Yeah. They do that too. Yeah. <laughs>
3: That's always a possibility.
1: Hmm. So they go to uh, Google Maps to find out the legal. Uh, uh, oh, well,
2: when Bob said that about McDonald's and where the guy was located, I'm not kidding. They go to Google Maps They've never seen the witness, observed the manner and demeanor of the witness, and then they will go to Google Maps to see if they believe the witness could have seen it from that position.
3: And they also say, by the way, that, you know, this business about you're seeing and hearing these witnesses is greatly overrated. We can decide this from a cold record.
2: And they have done this before. No reasonable jury could come to this conclusion, and they've never had a jury trial in their life.
1: Our time is up this uh, first hour. We're going to take a little break here for the uh, news and uh, weather. Come right back with our panelists, uh, Justice Steigman, uh, Judge McCuskey, and Jim Dye from the News Gazette here on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. Welcome back to our number two of uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. My guests are Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey, and uh, Jim Dye, the opinions editor of the News Gazette. We invite your call then your text messages at uh, 3569397 is the phone number. The castle heating and cooling text line is 3515357. If you have any questions about uh, what we've been on uh, so far, do get those uh, cleared up if you have them. If you want to bring up something entirely new, that's okay too, but as I said at the beginning of the first hour, this is a rare opportunity to talk to a uh, judges uh, one-on-one and we can talk uh, the law, we can talk politics, sports, as you know, we've talked about everything so far. So uh, jump right in at any time. I wanted to mention one thing uh, when we are talking about social media and uh, where people get their news and so forth. Last night I went to the dress rehearsal of a show they're putting on here at the uh, Virginia Theater mm-hmm. Champagne urbana Theater Company is uh, putting it on. It's called Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat. <coughs> and uh, they open uh, tonight. And it's a marvelous show. The great uh, staging and lighting and good acting and wonderful uh, music. It's really fun to go to. And uh, over in uh, two hours with the intermission. But at uh, intermission time, uh, the lights went up and I looked around and. I'll bet you that 75% of the people in the theater at that time took advantage of that information to whip out their phones <laughs> and start looking at them. And I said, what is wrong with these people? And as I pull my phone out to check the baseball scores, <laughs> well, yeah, you, you got go. the Cubs and <laughs> the Cardinals and, and uh, Milwaukee all playing at uh, one time. But it just goes to show you, now maybe they're looking at Facebook, or may, I doubt very many people are going directly to a to a, news, uh, you know, a news channel to see uh, what they've missed in the last hour. But there's no question that uh, people have those, Well, uh, <coughs> you know. In fact, in, uh, in Honolulu, I wanted to, to bring this up, Honolulu is now making it illegal, illegal, to look at your phone or camera or laptop when you cross the street. <laughs> it's the first U.S. city to make using your phone while crossing the street illegal. Did you ever hear of that before? Anybody?
2: No, no but there's usually at least one person hit on campus every year by a bus while they're doing that.
1: You know, it's one that strikes
4: me as <laughs> one of those things that might be good advice to people, but I would seriously question... Uh, the wisdom in terms of public policy? I mean, are, are we gonna, how are we going to enforce that?
2: Yeah, the well, same way, I every day I leave my parking deck in Peoria and jaywalk to the uh, judge's entrance, uh, and I've yet to see a police officer get too concerned about that. We've got a lot of laws that are never enforced. Yeah, and that just kind of thing kind of breeds disrespect for the law, I think. Sure. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to take the long route. <laughs> and you're not going to Honolulu anytime no, soon? No, no, I've never had enough money to get there. No. Oh, don't give me that. He's been in how many different jobs this guy has? I'm just a poor rural judge. Yeah. <laughs> and, most ju- and most lawyers that appear in front of me agree, he is a poor judge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is Anna Wall on the line? Hello, Anna Wall morning. Good morning. And
9: it is a pleasure to hear these two intelli- these two wonderful individuals. But I am reading.
1: Are you leaving out Jim Die? <laughs>
9: <laughs> <laughs> He's one of my favorites. Oh,
1: okay. Now and so are
9: you, and the, and the gentleman who are on. But the reason I'm calling is because being a recipient of my Jackson Sun newspaper, which comes from Jackson, Tennessee, and represents. Points of view from both Kentucky and Tennessee, like where I live, one side is Tennessee and the other side is Kentucky, they're debating about um the bill the- with they're debating about repealing the Affordable Care Act without a replacement. one uh, senator Bob Carker, is saying that it should be done. My state, uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, said it should not be done, and that is the repeal and delay. He is in favor of having a a bill that would replace it immediately, whereas one senator is saying that it should be delayed. And I'd just like to hear y'all's opinion about it.
3: Well, uh, I think... It's a bad business when political parties and politicians lie to the public. The Republican Party for years has said, indeed their mantra was, elect us and we're going to repeal Obamacare. Uh, John McCain, as recently as a year, year and a half ago, said, I'm the guy who's going to vote to repeal Obamacare. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Lisa Murkowski, all these other, uh, Lamar Alexander, and other people in the House. And um, it reminds me of um, when uh, President Obama and Senator Dick Durbin repeatedly said, if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, period. If you like your plan insurance, you can keep your plan, period. And the price is going to go down $2,500. Uh, I think those were probably lies, lie being that uh, you knew it was not true at the time. Clearly, the Republican politicians were lying because when they said, I'm going to vote to repeal it, uh, they might have been surprised to get uh, a Republican in the White House who was ready to sign it. But it was a lie because they knew then or should have known then they had no intention of voting yes. So it's a bad business. Uh, it it undermines and... In, in, It confirms the worst sense of what politicians will say or do. And uh, the Republican Party has really uh, demeaned itself in this instance.
2: I'm going to ask Jim Dye if I'm wrong. I think during the (coughs) campaign, candidate Trump said, I'm going to repeal, replace it, and make it better. And I think he said the same thing as president, that we as Republicans will repeal it, replace it, and make it better. It Not just a repeal, but replace and make it better. Am I wrong?
4: No, I think that was clearly the uh, <coughs> the promise over and over again. About we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, and
2: but make it better. Well, of course they're not going to make it worse intentionally. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. That was the so that's it would the be old a argument. Rare politician
4: to say if you if you elect me, I'm going to come up with a program that's even worse <laughs> than what we have right now. Well,
2: that was the argument. Is it worse or is it better? And McCain then well, said, "There is no plan." McCain said. I want to send it to committee and get both parties to work on it. Uh, That didn't work in the first Clinton budget that not one Republican voted for. That didn't work in the Obamacare that not one Republican voted for. So why on a repeal basis would you expect any Democrat? They haven't been um, agreeing on anything for years.
3: But, Mike, you're being too kind to them. No,
2: you're being (coughs) a little too negative on the Republicans' <laughs> well, because me, they promised to make it better, not just no, repeal.
3: No, I saw the McCain campaign speech. I'm going to repeal Obamacare.
2: When did he say that? The oh, last oh, time on, he ran. Hold
3: on just a minute. Uh, Anna Wall, do you
1: have your radio on? Yeah.
3: So I'm gonna, i When did he say that?
1: I'm, I'm going to cut her off. That's uh, very uh, distracting. I'm. I know she's probably having a uh, easier time to hear it on the radio than on the phone but uh, nonetheless it was uh, it was uh, go ahead but uh, this guys. replace
3: and make it better was was a later addition the short comment was <clears throat> i'm going to repeal it and in fact the <clears throat> all of these people voted to repeal it and put the bill on obama's desk that's correct
2: that that is so, what they did for 8 years
3: yeah so was that all just showmanship apparently so because once it becomes real well,
2: Well, McCain
3: and all these others back off and say, well, we didn't mean it.
2: They did that when they didn't have a majority. They knew that it wasn't going to be signed. Uh, So it's interesting, when they've got 52, they couldn't get 52.
3: Well, but the the point is, the Democrats somehow were able to hold it all together when they passed this abomination uh, eight years ago. They didn't have a Republican vote.
2: Well, the Republicans at that point knew that Obama wouldn't pass it. Now, that when they see the point... Is anybody going to lose their insurance?
3: They got scared. 52 members of the U.S. Senate, who are Republicans, all voted to repeal Obamacare. In At the one rest, point, yes they did. Or promised that they would if elected.
2: Yes, they did. And Senator McCain will not run for re-election, so well, that's not you know, a big
3: deal. I'm not that, sure
4: what you guys are actually disagreeing about, because I think you both uh, <clears throat> say the Republicans promised
2: certain things and they didn't actually well it's,
3: it. It's political corruption. It right.
2: happens, it's called political puffing. There's yeah. never been a candidate carried through on all his promises, <clears throat> including the Contract for America that got Newt Gingrich Speaker of the House.
4: When you say puffing, I think you're really being very kind there. That's no, I, being misleading, well, absolutely. Then yes. What you're
2: saying, Jim, is, I may be truthful, every politician will lie to you to get your vote. And they have since the beginning of this country. Is that what you're saying? I think that's true. Well, I think it's true,
3: too. Well, okay. I, th- I think... <laughs> so it's both parties. It's it caters, everybody that runs. It caters to the most skeptical and cynical, and we just prove well, we them We can right. be
2: skeptical and cynical about you. I've always run as a Democrat. You have run as a Democrat and a Republican. I'm the essence of bipartisanship. There you sir. go. <laughs> 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 Now but we the, Republicans know
3: have, uh,
4: what... the Republicans have got themselves in a, in a jam, and I don't really have any problem with the idea of uh, actually going into committee and discussing things. I don't like this idea that, that we're just in secret going to cook up this thing and then we're going to pass it one day without anybody ever looking at it. That's what the Democrats did with Obamacare, and that's what some of the Republicans were trying to do with repealing and replacing mm. Obamacare. I don't have a problem with like a real congressional uh, legislative process that, In which both parties are involved and uh, and they work things out their traditional way now there may be certain things they cannot agree on for instance should you repeal the employer mandate should you repeal the individual mandate Uh, there are going to be things they don't agree on but certainly they can do some things to uh, to uh, improve the problem and i don't think it was necessary you know if you if you want to expand the welfare rolls and put everybody on medicaid so that one in four illinoisans are on medicaid OK, you can do that. But why do you need to to mess with the individual private insurance marketplace in the process of doing that? I think the parties, the Democrats showed that when you try to create when you try to create the perfect private enterprise uh, instead of letting the market work, all you get is chaos and failure. The
3: other problem is mm-hmm. another manifestation of the Republican Party's failure that I think is awful and will come back to hurt them is they now control both houses in the presidency and they yet have to go to the normal budgeting process. Uh, instead, they're still with this ridiculous continuing resolution stuff to fund the federal government. It's awful. It's unnecessary. It's a sign that the Republicans can't govern appropriately.
1: Did you uh, notice in the uh, the headline in the News Gazette this morning that it said that the Blue Cross, Blue Shield and uh, – Health Alliance are all asking for a 41% increase in premiums for the next uh, time it comes up. It would be effective next uh, January if, indeed, they get it. Well, see, I think that's what happens when you
4: start saying uh, this one-size-fits-all insurance policy, uh, and everybody and the the insurers have to cover uh, everybody for everything, and some people are not signing up. And so they have to make the, up that revenue with the pricing. And it, it's a complete, uh, I mean, I, th- I just think they have failed by trying to regulate uh, the private inter- private market.
1: Let's sure. uh, go to the uh, phones for Richard. Uh, good morning, Richard.
4: Good
8: morning, Jim, and uh, good morning, our guests. <laughs> hey, I appreciated uh, Judge Steigman is being uh, characterized as a true bipartisan. I <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I've called in because I I want to cite somebody that neither of you have ever seen in court. I don't know his name. He's a citizen who, uh, I would say, walks according to the dictates of a clean and honest heart. Two days ago, I left the city of uh, Homer uh, after a doctor's appointment, and I had carelessly left my billfold perched between my truck mirror and the glass uh, due to an accident. I dropped uh, some stuff, and I was down picking it up, and Put my billfold there. Well, <clears throat> I drove back to Champaign for another doctor's appointment, and uh, there I discovered I didn't have my billfold. And so I retraced my steps back, and I found my billfold on the highway. But I found it short of uh, some credit cards,
0: <laughs>
8: $270, roughly $270 in cash. But they did leave my driver's license in. I, it looked like somebody found it and then put it where I would find it on my, on my way back to Homer.
1: Okay, what's the question here, Richard?
8: Well, I just want these guys to know what honest people are out there, and they don't always deal with crooks. Yesterday, one of my postmen uh, stopped me and said that a guy from Allerton had come to Tuscola and returned the money he found blown somewhere along the road and credit cards and um, he was able to get my name, and I, I just I was flabbergasted. I just I just uh, decided, well, you know, this was uh, carelessness on my part, and I, I don't know who the guy is. He wouldn't leave his name with the police, but uh, I want to want to shout out. There's a guy in Allerton. I'm going to try to find and say, guys, you don't have to worry about him. If we had more people like him, we wouldn't have to near the use of uh, courts that we. You're
1: going to give him a reward, Richard.
8: I will if he'll accept it, but he wouldn't even leave his name with the police, Jim. So mm-hmm.
1: I yeah, he didn't hard. want
8: any notoriety. But uh, somewhere, somebody says, "Hey, that's my neighbor."
4: Uh, Next time uh, I see Diage, great, Diagedos, great story.
2: I'm Direct him to Allerton. It, it is <laughs> nice that we have a good story occasionally.
4: You know, one time I lost my wallet and I thought for sure it was gone, and I went to the was the Chancellor Hotel at the time, and I. I said, has anybody found a wallet? And they picked this wallet up. And they said, is this your wallet? And I said, that's yeah, my wallet. And I was thanking God. I said, oh, this is amazing. I said, who turned it in? A priest found it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's go Later, to. Uh, that was good luck. Let's go to uh, Brenda. Hi, Brenda.
7: Hi.
1: You have a question or a comment?
7: I have a question. Um, the Illinois law had just made a new thing about Floyd cards, going back about domestic battery and the it was only going to go back like 10 years or something and i was wondering how they can take and take somebody's void card not for domestic battery but just for battery 40 years ago
2: i have no idea administratively how that works <clears throat> i do know that there's certain convictions that will v- take your Foyd card away, away, but I have no idea administratively how they go retroactively or how they even find that.
3: I, I agree. I'm, I'm not sure either. I will say that I've seen some cases, some litigation recently that's reached our court uh, on uh, efforts to take away Foyd cards and others to get it back. So there is judicial review of this matter, and uh, if uh, someone thinks a FOID card has been improperly revoked, he could file for judicial review in the circuit court and maybe if he loses there get it to the appellate court.
2: Let me throw one in that'll be a curve for most people because most people aren't aware of what happens with an order of protection. An order of protection goes to police agencies and to a state computer system, and it is available, an order of protection that involves violence or a conviction for domestic violence, the federal government is allowed to come and take your guns under federal law. I've never seen it executed, probably because the feds have plenty to do other than that. But that is a consequence of a domestic battery order of protection and conviction.
1: And uh, here is a text that says, what are the laws locally for whether law enforcement can legally set up to uh, check speed with radar from private property? I've always understood that unless invited, it is not legal for law enforcement to use private property to set up radar speed enforcement unless invited to do that on that property. Please clarify.
2: Is that the person that, didn't like the police on their property, you have every right to go tell them, move your vehicle, you're on my property, and you don't have permission. But I actually do know that there are some people who believe that they're speeding in their neighborhood and will allow the police to sit in their driveway to slow down traffic in their neighborhood. But there is no such law that says if you are on private property, you cannot run a radar gun
3: think mike's right
2: well how
1: about that
4: <laughs> first
2: time for everything first time, ah. yeah. Stop it
1: is clock. uh 10 we have uh, several callers awaiting uh, it's time for the news headlines with uh, brian barnhart back after that with our panel it is ten thirty-five, eighty-three 83 degrees here at the radio center the panel continues right up until 11 o'clock you're invited to uh to join us, if you'd like, it's Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey, and the Opinions Editor of the News Gazette, Jim Dye. And uh, Tony is next. Hi, Tony.
8: Hi. What did you guys think about the latest um, tweet from Donald this morning, our president? Um, it says, our relationship with Russia is at an all-time low and very dangerous. You can thank Congress the same people that can't give us health care. N- <laughs> nothing's his fault.
2: Everything is everybody else's fault. So what do you guys think about that? Didn't
3: he sign the bill? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> it, this gives me a chance to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is the claim of collusion uh, with the Russians uh, regarding this, uh, cam- the 2016 campaign. One of the wonderful things about being on the appellate court and courts in general is we require precision of terms. We require precision of analysis and thought. And uh, uh, it's so lacking in this whole instance. And one of the things that uh, I've mentioned on this station in the past with regard to the collusion aspect is to say, and I've never heard this really pursued except by Tucker Carlson once with some collusion uh, guy, give me your worst-case scenario. Explain to me what you think might have happened—the very worst case, where the Trump admitted, the Trump campaign could have colluded in some fashion with the Russians in uh, to affect this uh, election. You tell me what you think it was, and uh, I've never had an answer to that. And it's a question which doesn't get asked in Washington. It's a question where. Uh, it seems to me the Democrats are all too happy to continue with this notion that uh, Trump is somehow illegitimate because the Russians meddled, and in what way did they do that, and how did they affect the campaign? Uh, but one of the aspects of that, uh, which is not surprising, is that Russia, who is a major player in the on the uh, world stage in the Middle East, uh, with North Korea and otherwise, uh, is the victim of an effort, and I think uh, Trump has got this right, by Congress to demean him, to damage him, to portray him as awful and to uh, damage our relations with them so that apparently there was one guy, I think, in the New York Times yesterday said, gee, why? how is it that our relations with Russia are as bad now as they were maybe uh, at any time during the Cold War. Well, you know, maybe it's because of all of this business about how they're so awful. And I'll raise the question again. Maybe some caller will say, "In answer it in a worst-case scenario, what exactly was this collusion? Don't use collusion or metal because these are terms of imprecise meaning. Tell me a specific fact you think, in a worst-case scenario, might have occurred.
2: Well, all I got to say is, Anybody that thinks historically, after World War II to today, that Russia is our friend or China is our friend is making a big mistake. They're not our friends.
3: Well, they don't have to be our friends, but we don't have to make them into our worst enemies. We want to deal with them, for instance, in Syria. We want to deal with them. This North Korea thing is pretty scary, and Russia is one of the two countries that borders North Korea and might have some influence
1: all right uh thanks for the call we'll go to uh, Don hello Don
3: hey good morning gentlemen uh, I'll tell
8: you what's going on here the way they, they describe it is uh Trump's playing 3d chess and everybody else is playing checkers
4: you know actually I have a I have a problem with that theory he, he strikes me as so so impulsive and uh, uh, unduly sensitive that that I that uh, the, this notion that this is some grand scheme on his part, uh, I just I just have a hard time with that. I do think I that know. he I do think, however, that he knows how to uh, distract the press with some of his uh, with some of his tweets and change the subject. But but it always seems to me like he's changing the subject towards something that's maybe not as good for him as he thinks it is. But uh, oh, wow. I, I'm not buying the notion that he plays chess while everybody else is playing checkers.
8: <laughs> I agree with Jim somebody distracting the press, that's, that's, that's outrageous, ain't it? Uh, and there's a, that's well, easily Obama, done.
4: It's very easily done.
8: There's a, there's a reason Obamacare was passed midnight on Christmas Eve. There's a reason for that. And, uh, Mr. McCuskey, I, I, don't remember you reacting to Obama when he was recorded telling, uh, Putin, things will be different, be different after I get elected I don't remember any outrage about that. Did
2: you call me and ask me about that so I could respond? (laughs)
8: Uh, No, I didn't. Well, Um, then how could I
2: respond to something I was never asked?
8: Well, if you're outraged, you respond, don't
2: you? I'm Uh, not outraged about much of anything because you're supposed to be rather uh, even-tempered as a judge to listen to both sides and make a decision. And you know what? Yeah, I did not get yeah, elected yeah, to be a politician and respond to whatever you want me to. I'm here to ask legal questions. That's not a legal question. It's right. a political now, you're question.
8: A, you're
2: I'm not, re- s- I'm not allowed to, to, respond re- re- to, a case
8: to respond to you.
2: You want me uh, to agree with you? I'll agree with the, you if you'll hang up.
8: The, the, the collusion is Comey and Mueller. Why, I want you guys to explain why Mueller don't...
2: He's going to get fired. The law says he should recuse himself. He should recu- but he should follow the law. I know. Ken Starr did that, too. What about the law? Ken Starr and Whitewater. How long did that go on? Uh, we're here now, Bob.
1: Okay. Thanks, Don. Let's go to a Stan. Hi, Stan.
8: Good morning, gentlemen.
1: Good morning.
10: I, I, I'm i tempted to respond to that last caller, but I want to make my point instead. That would be a good idea. Uh, I, and <laughs> my point, uh, first I'm going to make a comment about the, how bankrupt the leadership of the Republican Party is, and then I'm going to use the Affordable Care Act as my example. Um, the the re- leadership of the Republican Party nowadays is totally bankrupt. Back in 1860, the Republican Party at its leadership was the party of the poor, downtrodden, and working man. In the 19, at the turn of the 20th century, the Republican party was the party of the middle income people because they gave them all of these great national parks that we have. And now we have a Republican party that is a party at its leadership that is the party of the tyranny of the minority. The Affordable Care Act took 14 months of open negotiations to be, uh, passed into law. There were more than 43 open hearings or town halls where people were able to give their input. Doctors, uh, pharmacists, care providers, people with disabilities were able to give <coughs> their input. We have now got a Republican Party that did everything they could to sabotage it, even though the Democratic Party did everything they could, including allowing the Republican Party to put poison pill amendments in the Affordable Care Act that would cause the Affordable Care Act to be less effective than it could be. And now we've got a Republican Party that acts through the tyranny of the minority so that they can take away care from 20 or 25 million people, increasing the number of deaths of middle income and poor people, by 20,000 a year at least, and we have a Republican Party that has not had one open hearing on this Affordable Care Act Repeal or replacement deal. Okay, uh, Stan, I'm going to have to. Uh, if, you, if, you to, to uh, if you
1: expect them to, if you expect them to respond, I'm going to have to uh, cut you off and uh, let them respond to that. If they, they I think to. we,
4: I think we had to let Stan in that uh, previous caller. We should arrange a yeah. cage match for us. <laughs> well,
2: hmm. they did have questions, I think.
3: Well, what's interesting <laughs> is that uh, the Republicans, in fact, passed nothing to affect Obamacare. So the idea that Obamacare is being damaged by Trump and the Republican Party isn't true. And we're in a position where uh, this morning's News Gazette showed the effects of Obamacare being a proposed 41% increase uh, by, uh, I think it was Health Alliance. And
1: uh, And Blue Cross Blue Shield.
3: And so we're in a situation where uh, it... uh, Trump has said and others have said that uh, this thing is going to collapse of its own weight and I'm afraid it might.
4: Well, one half of Obamacare is working swimmingly and that's the half where you just put, uh, or more than half, where you just put everybody on Medicaid. And, you know, that's, people are on Medicaid so they have some form of health insurance. The other aspect of it is the, is their attempt to create this kind of perfect private marketplace of insurance uh, which has failed miserably where people have to pay exorbitant, Uh, premiums for virtually no coverage at all and that's why people aren't buying it because they can't afford it it doesn't work
1: let's go to uh, bob hello
4: bob
5: hello is is the judge on there
4: we got two of them fire away
5: okay i have a question uh now uh i just heard recently on the news uh, i think the young man was only 16 years old was hit by a car after nine o'clock okay my question is
4: after 9 p.m you mean
5: is that driver completely at fault or is there still in the book rules of the road that a bike is after dark is to have a light so can can a person be at fault on the bike if they have no lights on their bicycle
2: yes what if they saw the person and decided i'm just going to hit them on my bike, whether they see me or not, there's always intentional acts that uh, get around any of the other questions that you have. So, mm-hmm.
1: there can't be intentional. This was a guy on a bicycle that got hit by a car.
3: Well, uh, it,
2: well, well there's maybe. all kinds of facts that aren't here.
3: Yeah, and it's the, another aspect is uh, when you're talking about a claim of negligence, if you're thinking about the driver, it's okay. A well, I want
5: to know, you know. Is the bicycle rider, after dark, responsible to have lights on the bike? I think so, but I
2: I'm not sure. I do personal injury accidents in Peoria, Illinois, every day. And I know your radio is on, too, which makes it a little tough. You could turn that off. So here's the first thing. We have negligence filed by the plaintiff. We also have what's called contributory negligence, Which comes into reducing, where both parties are negligent in various manners, and the jury has to decide who is more than 50% negligent in the case. So it sounds like you've got a case where everybody's a little negligent, and it'll be up to the jury to decide how much in apportioning that.
4: If it gets that far, because oftentimes these things get settled short of trial. It
1: isn't isn't in the court. No, I mean, it's usually
2: decided by the insurance carriers. Mm. Uh, They'll settle. Now, very few of these ever go to court.
1: As far as as the rules are concerned, uh, if you have a a bicycle, you follow the rules of the road, uh, the same as automobiles with regard to uh, safety. Well, Jim,
4: you're a big bicyclist. You you have have lights on your bike?
1: Absolutely. No, I don't have lights on my bike, but I don't ride it in the dark either. And, uh, Ed, let's, uh, here is 1048, let's take our last break here. and we'll come back and uh, talk some more. We're back in our final uh, 10 minutes or so with our uh, panel this morning. They are Bob Steigman and uh, Mike McCuskey and uh, Jim Dye. We're taking your calls. We've had a lot of uh, good ones. Still have time for another call or two. So call us at uh, 356-9397. Text us at uh, 351-5357. And a text question, "Why is Illinois the only state that doesn't recognize adultery, and when are laws going to actually change for the better for the children? Is that true
2: I don't know that adultery's ever been repealed or found unconstitutional. I think adultery was in there. then there's what's that one heart bomb where you you have overcome the other person by how you uh, interact with his wife. There's yes. all kinds of oh, Alienation stuff. of affection. Alienation, yes, there's yeah, all that's... kinds of stuff that haven't been set aside.
3: Now, I, as a matter of fact, many years ago, uh, back in the 80s, I proposed a lot of legislation got enacted, and I was thinking, well, maybe how would we clean up some of this stuff? And I proposed a bill uh, that got introduced that was going to repeal a bunch of laws like looting which no one ever charged with because it's a lesser offense than burglary and harder to prove treason against the state of illinois that no one's ever charged with i don't even know what that would be bastardy act yeah And and i think one of them also was adultery which i think is still in the criminal code and saying this is silly and we ought not have it and the result was the legislature repealed nothing
4: well, because they don't want to be accused of being yeah. for adultery or for yeah. looting. Yeah.
3: soft soft treason against the state of <laughs> Illinois. And I remember saying in Springfield, is this mean you're a fan of Michigan football? I don't know what what that would be.
1: Well, the question is, why is Illinois the only state that doesn't recognize adultery? I can't right? believe
3: that. I don't even know what that means. Right. It's I think it's still in the book someplace. Okay. Sure. Well, you
1: know what they say about
4: adultery is that if, if you see it, you recognize it, right? <laughs> You know it when you see it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: Kind of like obscenity. Yeah, you're bad. (laughs) And we go to uh, Frank. Hello, Frank.
0: Hello. Um, Just a couple things real quick, you know, with the judges. Um, I believe they're admirable men, and, you know... You might want to rethink that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, When people come on the radio and and talk about, well, you know, Trump did this or Trump did that, but what about Obama? Um, I think, you know, I'm looking at it from... Uh, justice side is you know it doesn't matter Republican democrat conservative liberal center let's whoever's breaking the law let's investigate it let's find out who's who's doing the things wrong and get all that garbage and trash out anytime and anywhere that we can um and especially in the here and now and of course if we find stuff from the past you know bring that on board also but It seems like so many times people try to justify what's going on now by, well, yeah, he did it, but look what they did back then. And that's just, to me, so wrong. We need justice for both parties. You know, the people deserve better in this country.
4: Well, I certainly don't disagree with that. The problem you have is that, you know, whenever you have these kind of issues come up, the partisan interests always uh, come to the the surface and affect how the... uh, how it's handled
3: yeah given given the current situation with republicans maybe the new campaign slogan will be vote republican because pelosi democrats would be even worse not exactly a catchy campaign slogan no. to drag out the voters No, your bump- bumper <laughs> sticker would have to be quite large yeah yeah they hey we're not good but they'd be worse that'll get it's them out It's
0: kind of the fox watching the hen house you know i mean they get to decide what's investigated and what's not and what material comes out in this I, yeah, I don't know it's we're just it seems like we're in a big mess in this country we well, well, have been before if
4: you recall when uh, Edwin Edwards the notoriously corrupt governor of Louisiana was running for election one time against the uh, Former Klansman David Duke. David Duke, David Duke. Uh, his, uh, I think, what he had a quite a sense of humor. He had one of his bumper stickers was "Better the Lizard than the Wizard,"
2: yeah. and the other one was "Vote for the Crook." It's the right
3: thing. Yeah, it's important. Right. Yeah, vote for the crook. <laughs> He's yeah.
4: also yeah. The, the guy wizard. who once said famously, when he was running for re-election, "The only way I'm going to lose this race is, is if I'm caught in bed with a dead woman or a live boy."
3: Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's it.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, I know uh, somebody here at the radio station that every time we start into these uh, talks, uh, all it doesn't matter what we're talking about, the politics, government, whatever. the The only answer is they're all a bunch of crooks. That's
3: well. Well, let me let me some merit to
1: this. Who uh, says that in there? Hello, yeah. Ed. Well,
2: Jim, <laughs> let me tell you the one that does amaze me. How many people say there's no difference between the political parties? They're all the same, and you hear that every once in a while. And it's like I don't even respond to that because if that's what they believe. They haven't been listening to anything.
4: Well, you know, there is a. Let I me mean, argue with you a little bit on that. I think there, there clearly are differences between the parties. I think what people say when they say they're all the same is they all mean they're just a bunch of self-promoting, uh, self-interested, selfish people who are looking out for themselves and, and be not believed. the public interest, and they cannot be believed. Yeah. I think, and I think <gasps> there's merit to that.
2: Well, we don't disagree in that we also have already agreed before that most people running for office. Will say anything to get elected.
3: How about as we reach our time to conclude on a, a bright note, uh, the 1950 movie Harvey, James Stewart's character, Elwood P. Dowd, his advice. My mother told me, in the world, you must be oh so smart, or in this world, oh so smart, or oh so p- pleasant. For years, I was oh so smart. I recommend pleasant. <laughs> Isn't that great advice? That's
1: yeah. good. Let's go to uh, Brian here. Hello, Brian.
6: Hello, guys. Good morning. Well, the Republicans do have a majority, but it's really not a working majority, as we can see. Yeah, I in mean,
1: the Senate,
4: 5248.
6: Yeah, there's always been a couple of three squishy moderates in there. And uh, John McCain, having the uh, rapid form of cancer that he does have, there's, there's probably a good chance he may not last another year. And uh, if that happens... Would they appoint uh, somebody to replace him and then
4: uh, maybe have that extra vote that they need? The governor, I I think the way it usually goes is the governor of the state will will appoint someone to serve until they can hold uh, an election, and that would be probably on the two-year cycle.
2: So that uh, that is a possibility then. Oh,
4: yeah, absolutely. Brian, let me throw this in. Just to be, just, just yeah. as when Jeff Sessions resigned uh, to become attorney general, the governor of Alabama yeah. appointed a replacement for him yeah. to serve until the next election, which they're going to have soon.
2: Let me throw this in quickly, Brian, and everybody that's listening, and that is no matter what the Republicans do in the House of Representatives, they will keep their majority because there are 26 states that have Republican – Uh, House, Senate, governors who have remapped their states to the point that there's not going to be a change. And if you remember, the Democrats looked at these early congressional seats and said we might take them. All they did was reduce a 70% seat to a 55% seat. So 26 states are already set up that it's going to be tough for the Democrats to do anything in the House. And there's only six states, we're one of them, where the democrats control everything so the overwhelming numbers are going to save the republicans in the house no matter what happens in the senate
1: judge mccuskey uh, when will you be available uh next time
2: well that'll depend on when somebody settles a trial because pretty much every week we have a trial set in peoria county And we're better off, though, than the criminal courts. We're now up to three criminal courts usually doing a murder case every week.
3: I want to mention quickly, it's wonderful of Mike to come all the way from Peoria to do this, and I want to thank him.
2: Well, thank you. I enjoy it, but it's not something that I can take off like I could when I was an appellate judge.
3: Thank (laughs) to all three
1: of you here on DWS.